0: This is The Cable. Big bid on 10-year treasuries over the last week. Tech story is front and centre. A lot of people saying, no, thank you, step back. You're saying, get in, why? Your connection from
1: the
2: London market close to the US market
0: action. A significant sell-off in European assets. The dollar a little bit stronger today. This is a stock that is increasingly being shorted. The Cable. An historic moment from which there can be no turning back. With Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Good afternoon, good afternoon to the City of London. I'm Jonathan Farrow. Guy Johnson still cannot be found. When is he back? A couple of days? Tomorrow? My producer doesn't know either. Good afternoon to you all live across the capital on DAV digital radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. This is the cable at 5 p.m. in London. A little bit earlier ago, the uh, the FTSE 100 closing lower by. A tenth of 1%. The DAX, the equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, also lower by around about a quarter of 1%. In the United States, virtually a flat start to the day, and then we've rolled over and we've stayed there on the S&P 500. Negative four-tenths of 1% after... A big gain last week, a 0.02%. Elsewhere in the FX market, a leadership challenge. Rumours of one taking place in the UK, driving sterling lower by eight tenths of 1%, the pound at $1.29.74. That's the big story in the UK. Reports of the Prime Minister being taken down by her own party. And the Prime Minister herself said the broad shape of the Brexit deal is now clear. With one sticking point, a rather big one. Let's bring in Marcus Ashworth, shall we? Bloomberg opinion columnist and Michael Houston, chief market analyst for CMC Markets in London. Michael, to begin with, that weakness in sterling. What do you say about the prospect of a leadership challenge taking place anytime soon?
3: I still think it's unlikely. I don't think they have the numbers. I think the opposition is very fragmented between those in the on the ERG the 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 ERG side rather. That's mm-hmm. the European Research Group, which is headed by Jacob Rees-Mogg and the Remainers who are unhappy with this so-called backstop option. Ultimately, it is just that. It's an option. And I don't think that they have the numbers. They need 48 votes from the 1922 committee to trigger a leadership election. And then they have to coalesce around a single candidate and gain 159 votes to vote for that candidate. Unfortunately, I don't think there is a consensus view on who any new leadership candidate should be. So, absent that, I think it's unlikely that we'll get a leadership challenge anytime soon.
0: And it's not clear who would want the job either, Markus. Exactly. Well,
4: I think it's quite clear who wants the job. But um, the point is that whilst Michael's correct in, in, in that arithmetic, in the sense um, it doesn't always work like that. And uh, the current rules of the Tory party don't necessarily need to be obeyed. In all circumstances, Um, but the key is is that Steve Baker, who's the sort of organizer of the uh, European Research, the ERG, which is the sort of the Brexiteer group uh, in the Commons amongst Tory MPs, is uh, has withdrawn his amendments, which were sort of wrecking ball amendments um, regards to the sort of Northern Irish um, part of it. So that shows you that, uh, as Michael's saying, in essence, they're going to they've, they've. rattle the cages, they've they've set up a few flares, um, but Theresa May probably lives to fight another day. Now, uh, the question is, that is because she's backing away from extending, or, or, or definitely ruling in, an extension to the extension, um, and for the moment is uh, it, it, being sort of quite straightforward. It, it, it's boiling down to just one thing, which is the Northern Ireland situation, which everyone seems uh, to think is unsolvable. It isn't. It just needs to be separated out of um, the agreement, and then we have an agreement. The question is whether or not people will allow that to happen, and that really is an Ireland's ball uh, uh, caught by me, and and I I think that's something which we may see as time go by, that uh, the EU, Northern Ireland, Southern Ireland, and indeed the UK will all work together uh, to create an Irish solution that probably solved by the Irish themselves, and that's something which I think... um, we, we should look to see happening, I think, over the next uh, month or two. So, Michael, More, why well, hasn't that happened?
3: Well, p- politics, John. I saw a video last week of a session of the Irish Doyle whereby Jean-Claude Juncker gave the Irish Parliament an absolute guarantee that in the absence of an agreement with the UK government, there would be no borders set up um, within the island of Ireland. And that... Um, that assertion and that guarantee was given and confirmed by Leo Veradka, the Irish Taoiseach as well. Um, look on orderorder.com. It's, qu- it's quite clear that there is no, um, I th- there's no willingness whatsoever to put up a border in the absence of any agreement. So I think to a certain extent, an awful lot of this spat, shall we say, is confected. For political purposes, to try and make it as difficult as possible for the UK to leave the European Union, I could be wrong.
0: And they've done a very good job of that, haven't they, Marcus?
4: Fabulous. I have to say that you know all the way through the EU has played us the blinder by Farage um, making this uh, the issue and the EU backing 100%. It's been it's been very skillful, and you have to admire uh, the European Union for this. But like in any game of poker, you can't win hands down and expect them to keep on coming back with uh, with, their, with their money. So um, there will be a deal at some point. Uh, the EU has got the better of this one so far, but you can't humiliate the other side to, to such a level. And I think that's why at some point there will be a deal for everyone's benefit, which won't be great for the UK, but it never was going to be. Um, but it has to be uh, sufficiently politically uh, clear that leaving the European Union is a penalty um, and that um, at the same stage that, uh, that the European Union isn't, isn't making it so uh, heavy a penalty that it, that, that they are, are, are essentially making it worse themselves as well.
0: Do you think the divorce bill comes up again, Marcus, if this doesn't get solved quick enough?
4: Yeah, the divorce bill is not going away. Uh, and the point is is that, uh, very correctly, I think um, the Treasury uh, have pointed out that there are several sets of it which is un- unescapable and and has to be paid, and that I think people ought to understand. Nonetheless, uh, there are two other moving parts. One is if we do extend to extend, how much we pay then, uh, because it will go into a different, whole different seven-year uh, EU uh, budget uh, process, and technically, therefore, we will not have the rebate. Uh, that's something I'm sure can be ironed out. Um, and then, indeed, you know whether or not if there were to be the horrific thing of no deal, which I really don't think—I've never thought it's going to happen. I think there will be a deal. It's just we have to move around the RS situation and make it into a separate. Uh, different uh, element of it, that um, if there were to be the worst-case scenario, no deal comes through, um, which I really don't think anyone wants, by the way. Uh, that you know, that there will, might be a, a, some, num- some amount taken away from the 39 billion or whatever it may be. Uh, again, that's something which I just cannot see that, that will happen. I, I really cannot see how that like, that benefits any side of, of this whole process. And at the end of the day, Ireland itself, Republic of Ireland, will suffer the most there is no deal that's why i think at the moment when it comes to the moment uh that everyone will will, will finally see themselves somehow amazingly incredibly what fantastic politicians we are we managed to solve it all
0: so this needs to be addressed over the coming months surely because this needs to be approved by all of the respective well, got nothing. so, so got, how much they, longer marcus
4: they've got nothing else to talk about it's 95 percent done what they do for the next six months <laughs> just got one That's all. Yeah, I mean, really we got till the end of November. Mm. Uh, there, of course, there's always time to get these things through, but you should expect something to be, one would hope, uh, at least uh, at least agreed to be agreed upon at a later stage, that anyone can live with, um, by them uh, and the member. I mean, Theresa May does to not fudge want this for yet. the
3: last seven years, so why why shouldn't they fudge this?
4: So wait a second, if if <laughs> if cable is sub 130,
0: hmm. Michael, you're our FX guy, isn't that a screaming buy? If you think there's going to be a deal imminently.
3: Yeah, I do. I think uh, an awful lot of the bad news is priced in. I mean, you've only got to look at what UK gilts are doing to um, get an idea that ultimately I don't think, even though the FX markets are suggesting that um, the pound is um, under pressure, the guilt market is fine, um, which, which suggests to me that an awful lot of the sterling weakness we've seen today, some of it has been as a result of weakness against the euro, but half of it is because the dollar's so strong. Michael
0: Houston, great to have you with us. Chief Market Analyst for CMC Markets. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion Columnist. Both of them helping to make sense of um, the unexplainable sometimes. It is the Brexit process. Next up on the programme, speaking of unexplainable, what is happening in Italy? The volatility in Italian assets going absolutely nowhere fast. That conversation's next. This is Bloomberg Radio. You're listening to The Cable. This is The Cable, with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson, on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. The budget battle in Italy continues. The country's Prime Minister, Giuseppe Conte, says the country won't exceed the 2019 deficit target of 2.4%. He spoke today after his government sent a letter to the European Commission, calling for, quote, constructive talks with Brussels.
5: The 2.4% target is our upper limit. We can still reassess during the budget implementation a containment, so we don't necessarily need to reach that 2.4%. For sure, we won't exceed it.
0: Joining me to discuss is Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion columnist, who's written a lot about what's happening in the Italian bond market over the last couple of months. Michael Hewson, Chief Market Analyst for CMC Markets in London. Marcus, the swings in BTPs, not even the level, just the intraday swing that I'm seeing at the moment, is remarkable. What is going on in one of the biggest bond markets on the planet?
4: Uh, The number of things. I think... Uh, Moody's just backed away from uh, from doing anything. In fact, I think what they have said regarding the pension uh, changes, they think it's going to be uh, just one year. Ho ho ho! Good luck with that. So Moody's decided to leave it on a stable uh, and cut one one notch. It's the softest cut they could have made. And I think they've uh, wimped out a bit there. Uh, S and P will likely do the same next Friday or this Friday coming up. However, I think there's been quite a bit of um, risk off, particularly from Japanese investors. And a lot of, uh, which has precipitated people taking off a lot of uh, cross-European uh, spreads, particularly against Spain, possibly Portugal and one or two others, um, which is resulted in a bit of shuffling of deck, which, which caused Italy to race back in. So there's a bit more than just the news of Moody's not cutting uh, that much. And equally, at the same time, Moscovici, the European Budget Commissioner, and probably the most important person facially wise on this, um, saying... That he was going to leave the uh, European politicians to sort of themselves. That's a very key expression. It shows that they don't really want to get involved in the middle of um, uh, of a big a big fight with the Italian politicians. Uh, combine that with um, what has been said today by um, the Italian government pushing back and saying they're sticking with their plans, but playing nicely at least in in the analysis of it all that they that they wanted. They come up with wonderful lines that they're going, they're going to. It's a ceiling. 2.4. that Of course, if growth is better, which is absolutely no chance, it's going to be seeing as their forecast is 1.5 GDP growth next year. I suppose everyone else <laughs> is on 1%. But just saying, a miraculous world it is. Then of course they'll they'll spend less. Look, the reality is is that growth will not be 1.5%. It will be 1% or something like that. Which means that that 2.4 uh, budget deficit to GDP number will be not a ceiling but a floor, uh, and it'll get much closer to 3%. However, that is in the future. That's that's going forward. We don't know. These are all estimates. Uh, and everyone's just going to have to extend and pretend, get the can down the road, whatever expression you want to use. Um, but the reality is that the, the European Commission will have to bounce this back. They'll do that probably as soon as tomorrow, certainly by uh, this time next week. But it doesn't mean they can do anything really about it, because the excessive deficit procedure doesn't really kick in until next May at the earliest, and therefore uh, the Italians will probably get away with so
0: it. So when the ECB sits down for their monetary policy meeting this week, Michael, and they asked themselves whether they've seen an unwarranted tightening of financial conditions and whether they need to respond in any way, shape or form to what has happened in Italy. What
3: do you think the answer will be? I think they'll try and be, be as woolly as they can without committing to anything in particular. And I think one of the reasons you've seen, I think, the pullback in yields, and I might had that the Italian yield was back at 3.49%, again, pretty much where it started the day, was I think there is a concern amongst EU policymakers of a contagion effect. I think while Italy was operating in a vacuum, I don't think they were overly concerned about rising bond yields, but we've seen Portuguese yields start to rise, we've seen Spanish yields start to rise, and that will tighten monetary conditions. Now, the biggest problem that Mr Draghi's got, and I don't know whether Marcus concurs on this point, is that the ECB is split right down the middle between the northern core and the southern with respect to the tapering of the asset purchases. And that's really going to be the main topic for debate going forward.
0: Guys, it's been great to catch up with you both to get your thoughts on Brexit and the situation in Italy. Marcus Ashworth, Bloomberg Opinion Columnist, and Michael Hewson, Chief Market Analyst for CMC Markets in London. Next up on a programme, the global equity market with BlackRock's Kate Moore. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. Live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, you are listening to Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jonathan Farrow. China's equity market absolutely ripping in today's session by more than 4%, the biggest increase since March 2016. This morning, Tom Keane and I spoke with Kate Moore of Blackroft, the chief Equity strategist. And she said she is still optimistic about equities in spite of China, what is happening in the economy, and trade. Take a listen.
6: I think that some of what we've seen in terms of the price action so far has been really, really overdone this year. You know, I don't understand why investors are surprised that the government has come out and said that they are going to support strategic industries, uh, technology, private firms, going to provide both explicit and implicit support on financing as well as on the regulatory side. This has always been the case. and in, in People who have been reluctant to invest in China uh, are those that don't understand the uh, strength of Chinese political will and how important the growth and the breadth of the economy is for the future plans
0: so we saw the plunge protection team get into action in 2016. what have they learned from 2016 and why is this response any different
6: so i think what's happened in 2018 is a little bit different in that um, the government has put a series of policies and new regulations in place that you know, while hurting earnings maybe a little bit in the near term, especially around some of the key sectors in China, actually really lay the groundwork for more sustained and better growth in the future. This isn't just about supporting stocks right now. This is about creating the right framework and the long-term support uh, from the the policy side that will allow the kind of growth and development that they need to achieve their big technology goals.
3: Within all the you know the optimism we have, and John, we heard Kate Moore's optimism here uh, over over the last uh, number of hours, but within this optimism is a gloom crude What do the cautious people get wrong? Is it financial? Is it mood? Is it the size of the bet one way or another? What is it?
6: Yeah, Tom, let me just say, I don't think I'm going to live this down when I get into the office today. Uh, Kate, you're too optimistic. It's going to be branded right across my face, but here's what I will say. Uh, the people who are uh, very pessimistic are concerned that mm. you know all of these policy things will weigh indefinitely on the potential for earnings and growth. People who are optimistic, you know, tend to have a slightly longer time horizon.
0: Don't allow us to characterize what you're saying, Kate. If it's not optimism, what would you call it? How would you frame the way you're thinking about the world right now?
6: I'd say I have the ability to look through some of the near term noise, volatility. Uh, And some challenges and some headwinds to Chinese sectors and to Chinese growth expectations is very likely in the near term. And if I'm going to be totally honest with you, I can't necessarily identify a catalyst that's going to lead China to rip and outperform the rest of the market in the fourth quarter. But I think, you know, as especially longer term investors and individual investors think about their allocation to this incredibly important economy, to these really interesting markets where companies don't look exactly like their U.S. counterparts, they need to think about adding over the medium term and you know this is what you hear me say which is to try and reverse the negative uh i think the the, or take away the cloud that's been hanging over a lot of people's um recent experience in emerging markets and say there are some very very strong growth
0: stories so big week for tech earnings in the united states this week the divergence though in 2018 between chinese tech and u.s tech has been absolutely massive yeah are you saying that you would buy the Chinese side of the story, and look for some convergence here.
6: It's really convenient to say that U.S. company, U.S. tech, and Chinese tech are kind of similar sides of the same idea, but the composition of these companies, uh, their demand, their content, the regulatory environment are all totally different. And you've seen what is a almost four uh, four thousand basis point spread between the performance of U.S. tech companies and Chinese tech companies. Yeah, but are
3: they same Is That apples to apples, or you know? It's
6: not. These are, you know... My point is, if you're thinking about technology over the long term, you've got to own both yeah. sides. These companies do different things, access different yeah. consumer bases, and, and uh, are developing technologies at different paces. It's not, you know, you don't have a an Apple in China or, you know, an Amazon in Give China that Apples certain, yeah. to
0: apples in do you like, China. That was yeah. smart. I, I miss that. I feel I'm pretty caffeinated for a Monday morning. You did morning. it on accident, yeah. Tom. She does on stand
3: up on the Upper West Side. <laughs> <on the weekends.
0: laughs> Kate is much sharper than us. Um, yeah. Kate, we just talk about that, that big week coming coming. coming up for tech earnings. What are you looking for? Netflix just does everything the bulls want it to do and then the stock ends the week down 2%. Yeah.
6: Well, we're in this market where if you are uh, putting up numbers that look too good, the everyone's going to step back is it possible that we continue to get the same kind of subscription growth who knows um there's we really are looking for goldilocks numbers things strong but not so strong that they don't look unsustainable and you know it's possible that good numbers this year uh, pardon me this quarter uh on the top line and the bottom line aren't met with huge outperformance so um but i would say that's an opportunity especially our growth managers right. are looking to add shares at this point. Does
3: it matter what corporations are doing with their cash? Because to me, it's what my, my official line, interview after interview, is nothing's changed mm. and they're doing a little bit of capex and everybody stands up and cheers, but it's a yeah, but kind of capex, it's no big deal.
6: Well, the only capex we're really seeing grow in a meaningful way in 2018 is in tech, actually. <clears throat> Every other sector is kind of doing mm. what it's done for most of the post-crisis period. It's like low single digit growth, just what they need to do.
0: It's really interesting to me though that when growth starts to underperform we get a lot of people come on this program and say it's time to shift to value that rotation right. is here get out of growth go to value and then you just said your growth managers are looking to add to exposure that's so right. clearly for BlackRock that's the theme you think growth is where it's at that's where it stays
3: yeah
6: so last week we had a great debate we had our uh, equities mm-hmm. off-site and value versus growth was one of our key discussion uh, I, I, points I, I, I,
3: what did you see Houston Red Sox is that <laughs> where your offsite was <laughs>
6: well there are a lot of different teams here this is what I'm no. gonna say. Okay. Uh, when it comes to value, you tend to have value as a style outperform uh, when you are in an economic or accelerating economic environment when the second derivative of growth looks really good. Um, and that has been you know, the experience that most people have lived through. What I will tell you though is that like what's falling into the value style indices right now, some of it's just not very good quality. And some of it is structurally mm-hmm. impaired. And I think our value managers would say, you you know, the work they have to do is that much more difficult than it's ever been in the past. We are also, while we're looking for a sustained expansion, are not looking for a massive acceleration in the growth rate at this point. And that, I think, you know, tempers the opportunity for value.
0: Kate Moore there, the Chief Equity Strategist over at BlackRock, joining Tom Kidd and I to talk about global equities. Up next on the programme, I'll bring it to New York City. Cameron Christ and Remain Bostick at Bloomberg with me here in the studio. This is Bloomberg Radio. This
6: is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg
0: Radio. This is The Cable live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. You are listening to Bloomberg Radio. I'm Jonathan Farrow. Still, nobody can find Guy Johnson. And my producer doesn't know where Guy Johnson is either. Is he back tomorrow? Have you found out? He is back tomorrow. Guy Johnson will be back tomorrow. Let's get you some price action, shall we? 5.30 in London. About 60 minutes ago, the equity market on a footsie closed a little bit softer, down a tenth of 1%. The equity benchmark in Frankfurt, Germany, also off by around about a quarter of 1%. A bit of weakness in America. In New York, we just roll over straight out of the close Uh, For no real reason, down about a half of 1%. The Dow off by 7 tenths. And Nasdaq keeping its head above water up by about a quarter of 1%. Ahead of a big week for tech earnings that we'll touch on in just a moment. That's the equity market action. In the FX market, rumours and reports of a possible leadership challenge once again in the UK. They seem to be going absolutely nowhere, weighing on the uh, the pound. Cable, sub-130, the pound against the US dollar, 129.67, down by eight-tenths of one percent. So a little bit of weakness for sterling there. In the bond market, let me get you up to speed on what's happening in treasuries, your global benchmark. Treasury shaping up as follows today. Well behaved. Yields basically unchanged, 3.186% on a US. 10-year, on a two-year note, 290. 290 is your yield today on a US two-year treasury. Pleased to say that popping by the studio in New York is uh, Cameron Kreiss of Bloomberg and Bloomberg's very own Remain Bostick as well. And we have to check in, Cameron, on our um, dear team, the uh, the club of the cable, which is East <laughs> London's finest, West Ham. And it was um, a London derby over the weekend on Saturday, I believe. And um, this happened. And we're going to take a listen to to what this is. Eric Lamella. What happened with uh, Eric Lamella? Hey, pinged
5: it in the net. <laughs> it was think. a decent header. Yeah, um, yeah,
3: just... Sanchez now for Trippier. Here we go. <laughs> yes. Soko's gone
5: for
3: the just return. Just giving
0: you Kripia. the build-up. Thank you. Thank you for that. It's all right. Feel it's it's right. the anticipation, Soko even though you know Lamella. what's
4: coming. Wonderfully worked. Yeah.
0: Spurs. Some happy Spurs fans.
5: Some happy Spurs fans. Hey, At least we have our own lousy stadium.
0: That is true. Are they going to have their own lousy stadium Apparently soon? Apparently not. What's We're happening with that?
5: Uh, I think it's in, it's in limbo. Really? It's in limbo. Yeah, somebody, I don't know if you saw, someone tweeted the two of us. Must be a listener of the cable. Yeah. Tweeted the two of us over the weekend after this grisly defeat, uh, a Daily Mash article that Spurs are going to play their next season online. Maybe on I football missed mode. that. I oh. didn't see that. I like that. Yeah. That's hilarious. Yeah, that's
0: good. Huh? That's really, really it's funny.
5: Good. But uh, on positive news, Andre Yarmolenko was confirmed uh, as a, as a proper hammer by doing his Achilles, and is out for six months. So you've got a lot of injuries now. We funny, funny how when they win, it's we, and then when no, it's, they lose, it's, we it's we you. When, when, right? when
0: West Ham beats Manchester United, it's we. <laughs> when they lose to the Spurs, it's you. You know yes. how this works. It's like yeah. being Scottish in um in the UK in sports. If you're Scottish, you're British when you're winning. Yeah, and Andy you are Scottish Andy Murray, when you are Yeah, losing. when Andy Murray is
3: just
5: a, 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 a yeah, a Marty Gitt, he's Scottish. Yeah, and when that he wins, is always Wimbledon. That is always he's the same. He's yeah. very
0: much British when he has a gold medal around his neck. Yeah, and um he's very much Scottish when he doesn't.
5: Although, funny how uh, Chris Hoy was always British. Yeah, he was. Yeah, he was. You're but right. I guess he always won. So. Yeah, I th- and I think also that's true as well, he's, he's he's quite well built, so you wouldn't want to. No, get you on wouldn't. The wrong you
0: side. wouldn't get on the wrong side. Just consistency. No. Consistency works there. Remain great to see you. We won't talk West Ham. This equity oh. market. What is there to say about this <laughs> equity market right now? Volatility just back in a big way.
2: Uh, lack of conviction. Of I think valuations also are. Uh, not necessarily high, but I think higher than than what some people think uh, is necess- is necessary at this stage and. Uh, You know, it's just kind of that fear that we are at the end of some cycle, whether you believe that or not. I mean, whether it's a market cycle, whether it's an economic cycle or the corporate cycle, and and a lot of people just don't want to get caught with their pants It
0: seems to me there is this sort of confirmation bias out there. I I start with my bias, which is incredibly negative, Uh, and then I cherry pick the negative aspects of the earnings season. The earnings themselves have been great. The concerns are now on the top line.
2: Yeah, the concerns are there. And, and, you know, the earnings are, are good by, I think, the traditional metrics for the past, you know, eight or nine years of this cycle. The problem is, is that people are now sort of guarding against what they think could be, uh, if not an economic recession, at least a a significant slowdown in the economy. And when they look at margins, when they look at some of the trajectory of growth going forward, uh, they're just not as confident. But it's funny you you use the word kind of this this self fulfilling prophecy. There is a market psychology at play here um, that I think isn't going to sort of snap itself unless you get, uh, I think, just a barrage of companies that exceed expectations by such a high degree. Uh, Until then, I think. The pessimism is going to remain. Cameron?
5: Well, it's pretty clear that the market is pricing a significant economic slowdown. The defensive sectors have outperformed the cyclicals by quite a substantial amount over the last, say, a couple of months. Um, so at some point, maybe in the next three months or so, we'll get to a, a point where kind of the rubber meets the road. And either we see evidence of the slowdown show up in the macro data. Or we don't, and if we don't, then we'll probably see quite an abrupt snapback in in the stock market, I would think, uh, or you know, at least in terms of the in terms of the sectors.
0: What about the sectors right now that are taking the most pain? I mean, are we talking about housing and we talking about autos? Is that what you reference? Yeah, I, th- I think
5: there's consumer discretionary. I mean, the the classic shorthand is looking at consumer dis- discretionary versus consumer staples. Yeah. So all of the big ticket interest sensitive things. Have been mulled, uh, housing and autos being being uh, notable in in that regard. Industrials, materials also haven't looked particularly clever either. And again, those are those are pro cyclical um, cyclical industries. Now, what's really interesting is you think of tech as being this super risky uh, cyclical industry, but it's really it's really not. Uh, at, at least the, the historical correlation of the performance of the technology sector a vis economic growth isn't actually really that strong. Um, so you could almost argue that gr- that tech is in some sense a secular industry yeah. rather than a rather than a cyclical industry. Now, that this having been said, when the yield curve inverts and then starts to re-steepen, normally tech gets mullet because the sell argument,
0: everything. That's been the argument to buy tech anyway, Cameron. The secular growth stories are some of these massive yeah, companies.
5: Yeah, and I think maybe part of the issue here of what's driving this is that the secular arguments in, in, in favor of tech are maybe morphing a little bit to this sort of uh, existential threat to the business model. And we've talked about this before, the existential threat to Facebook's yeah. sort of all-intrusive business model. Or if this this chip hack story is right. And there's obviously a lot of debate about that, whether it's right or not. What does that say about the whole practice of offshoring production to cheap Right. Uh, manufacturing locations. Right, but,
2: and you have a lot of the valuations, though, too. I mean, a lot of the growth, uh, I should say, has already been sort of priced into a lot of these stocks. So, I mean, when you look at even the companies that aren't necessarily dealing with some of these uh, external issues, you know, like Amazon, like Microsoft, which still have pretty healthy businesses, but the growth story sort of been priced in. So what exactly are you buying? If you're not already in it right now, what exactly are you jumping on? Hold on, hold
5: on. Sure, but, you've got 50 seconds. Yeah, but Amazon's been ludicrously expensive, for years. So what's cha- you know what's changed now? Who rang the bell that said now now is when the hundred PE on Amazon matters? When it didn't matter six months ago. Well, or, I was going to ask ago. the
0: same question, sort of relative to to Netflix. Netflix did everything last week. Right. The the bulls wanted Netflix to do. Then Netflix closed on a week down two percent, and Netflix actually underperforming
5: the Nasdaq one hundred. So what is going on? I mean, I, I, I hate to you, given that I wrote a sort of a derisory column about this today, but, you know, to some extent, maybe it's just positioning. You yeah. know, people have been overweight, this stuff, and it is, you know, maybe it's a wily e. Coyote moment for the Fang stuff where, you know, you just
0: have to get out. Cameron Christ, Romain Bostick, sticking with me. We'll talk Netflix next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable, live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio. This is Bloomberg Radio. We talked before the commercial break about Netflix and the equity. Let's talk about the debt now. A return to the junk bond market from Netflix, the world's largest online TV network, selling $2 billion in euros and dollars of uh, debt. Last week, Netflix said it expects to spend about $3 billion this year on original series and movies. And no doubt that money is to finance some of the programming. Cameron Kreis with me, Remain Bostick as well, Bloomberg's very own. And Cameron, what we've learned from the Uber offering at least is the credit market's wide open for companies that burn through cash.
5: Yeah, uh, good luck, Godspeed, if you're buying this stuff. Is that how uh, you feel about this? I, I really do. Um, I think we're now at the point where the cycle is mature enough that the credit cycle should be turning um, and that we should see, if you will, a sort of a secular... Widening of spreads from the super low, super tight levels that we've had before. And, you know, come the revolution, uh, is Tesla going to be able to, to repay all of its debt? Is Uber going to be able to repay all of its debt? I mean, t- Uber, as far as I can make out, do they have any plan to quit selling a dollar for 95 cents, which is, I mean, which is really their business model? Um, how does that generate the sort of revenues that you need to, to repay this debt?
2: Yeah, you know, I'm actually going to defend Netflix here. I was I was sort of uh, pessimistic about this when, when uh, I mean, we knew this debt sale was coming, but when you compare them to their competitors, and their competitors now are, you know, the traditional media companies and not really the tech companies, uh, I mean, their debt load really isn't that bad. I mean, it's half of what Disney's debt load is. The maturities on their, you know, bonds are twice what Disney's are. Their
0: argument is they have a big equity cushion as well.
2: They have a big equity cushion and there are a lot of folks that think that, you know, Netflix isn't competing against Amazon anymore. They're competing against Disney. They're competing against Fox. And if you measure them on those metrics, um, it's it's not as severe as some people make it out to to be. To
0: Cameron's point, though, I think the business model makes sense, makes a whole lot of sense in a low-rate, credit market, Mm wide-open scenario. When that scenario starts to turn these business business models don't necessarily look unviable, but they certainly look less viable relative to the period before.
5: There's going to be a challenge, I think. And if you're buying this stuff kind of uh, with spread still close to their tights, um, you know, there's going to be a mark-to-market event for you at some point, I think. And uh, it, it's not going to be an event that you're going to enjoy. Um, and one of my colleagues has written a piece, I don't even know if it's run yet, Um Basically, arguing that given the historical relationship between US high yield, and y- high yield and the rest of the world, US high yield looks way too tight. Um, it's been I, a story all year. Yeah. Energy and market, I think, Asian, and European if, high yields. We yield are smacks. moving to an environment where financial conditions are going to more closely reflect what's going on with Fed policy. and I think we are moving in that direction while well, policy is getting tighter. Financial conditions should be tighter over the next two years than they were over the last two years. That should, all else being equal, lead to wider spreads. If volatility is gonna be higher moving forward than it was last year, which I think is not a particularly controversial comment, then spreads should be watered to reflect that risk premium.
2: I mean, I don't disagree with that, but I also think there are exceptions to the rule and to when you, in terms of individual companies that just seem to get a pass. I mean, you mentioned Amazon. Netflix is one that, at least for now, seems well, to be getting a, getting, a until, getting a pass. Well, we can't say that they're
5: getting a pass. They are getting a pass. Well, everyone gets a pass in a bull market, right? Well, well, I mean, the, the question is... I, I, I if you buy these no, notes, I don't know.
2: I mean, we had a, we had a story floated a couple last week about Uber potentially coming to market uh, into the equity market, and and then yeah, they and sold I say, debt, and no one batted an eye. Well, no one batted an eye on
5: this very show. I said I thought it was ridiculous, and then if you bought it, good luck, Godspeed. Uh, no, so that, I, I mean, whether that's batting an eye or clapping a hand or standing up and waving a uh, well, I think a dead your, canary, your essential
0: and a, argument depends about time horizon. I mean, if I believe that Netflix is going to exist in ten years, I'll take the six percent if that's what it comes to market at, and I'll I'll sit on it. And
5: and you don't have to mark the market. Now,
0: exactly. Now, if you have to get out in 12 months, 24 months, for whatever reason, if you want to get out, the idea that you buy at post-crisis tights sort of leaves you open to some downside You buy with
5: post-crisis tights, with non-financial corporate debt as a a percentage of GDP at all-time highs, and the stock market basically saying the slowdown is coming. Guys, it's great to catch up with you both to get the thoughts of both
0: sides of that trade. Um, Cameron Christ and Bloomberg's remained bostig with some really thoughtful stuff ahead of a big week for tech earnings. That story's next. This is Bloomberg. This is The Cable with Jonathan Farrow and Guy Johnson on Bloomberg Radio. This is The Cable. Live across the capital on DAB Digital Radio, you're listening to Bloomberg Radio. Big week ahead for European banks. They're the earnings in focus on the continent. In the United States, the earnings in focus very much in the technology sector in the US. Some big tech companies reporting through the week, including Amazon and Alphabet. I've got the insights on the week ahead from Julian Emanuel of BTIG and Bloomberg's Luke Cower. We began by speaking with Mark Lehman, the JMP Securities President, about the tech sector. Take a listen.
1: We've uh, had a decent earnings uh, calendar and decent decent earnings reports to date, and I don't expect that to change. I think this is more about sentiment than actual reports, because I do expect these reports to be good. And uh, I I think going into the fourth quarter, you will see some more announcements about tech IPOs, and tech uh, will lead the way. And I still think that is the growth engine that will take us into 2019 going forward. Well, Mark, let's
0: get to the IPO poet line in just a little bit. I want to start and stay with the earnings just for a little bit. Netflix did what the bulls wanted Netflix to do last week, then the stock finished lower by around about 2%. Is the earnings enough?
1: Right now it's not. I think right now you have sentiment that is driving the day. Um, like you said, in previous quarters that would have taken the market and taken the stock a lot higher. Right now sentiment is the wrong way. Um, I think we've seen a little bit of rotation um, as the fourth quarter has begun out of these stocks. If you continue to see these earnings reports that are that good and the visibility that the companies are guiding to being that good, I think you will still see this sector take the market higher. Let's not forget what the stock has done year to date and for the last year um, and to see a little bit of a hiccup up here even after a stellar earnings report is not too surprising. Let's watch as third quarter reports come uh, again this week with Amazon and others and we'll see what goes on. But right now I think sentiment has definitely turned obviously negative.
7: Julian. Yeah so uh, we've seen a trend whereby if you beat on earnings and you beat on revenue but you don't give any guidance your stock gets punished. Mark, I'm just wondering uh, as you look uh, towards earnings this week and, and into the rest of the season, what do you expect to hear companies saying in general about 2019?
1: You know, there's been muted guidance, I think, by companies because I think they've purposely been cautious given what's going on on the trade, given what's going on politically, and given what's going on in Congress. These companies have all been afflicted by a uh, specter of more regulation, and I think there's no sense that they can have um, upside if they give very rosy guidance. I think they're very much in a wait-and-see mode. You see Facebook obviously is much more concerned about security and is investing deeper and deeper into that. I think companies are very tempered in their guidance. I think they're going to let the results speak for themselves. And I, again, I think as we go into next year, we see what happens with the election, more and more of that visibility will come shine through and I think the stocks will go higher after that. So
0: Mark, going into next year, let's get to that IPO pipeline. When we hear that some banks are pushing for the likes of Uber to go public, there's a narrative that quickly builds that the window is open for now, that the window closes at the end of next year. Your thoughts on how important the pipeline is at the moment, how strong it is, and whether you see it lasting beyond 19 and whether you can predict that at all.
1: Well, it's hard to predict, obviously. And Windows open and windows close very rapidly. Right now, the market has been very, very receptive to IPOs. Even last week, with all the volatility, we had seven deals pricing raising over a billion dollars. Clearly, the buyers have a better chance to get pricing that they desire, as opposed to weeks and months past that have been much better. Um, Right now, it's priced for the buyers. Uh, Going into 19, I do think you're going to see these highly visible companies, like you described with Uber and and others go public, access the markets, and give... um, credence that the IPO market will stay open and I think 19 will be a very good one and I do think that the, you're going to see some of the bigger names go public at terrific valuations. The, the thing that I fear um, is some of the more um, volatile names like um, in healthcare and uh, in the biotech market where we've seen a lot of capital raising. That has become a path for um, DECENT CAPITAL FOR SOME OF THESE COMPANIES, THAT WINDOW WILL PROBABLY CLOSE SOONER THAN THE OTHER WINDOWS FOR TECHNOLOGY AND THAT'S THE ONE that YOU SHOULD REALLY PAY ATTENTION TO BECAUSE TECH I THINK THE receptivity IS GOING TO CONTINUE THROUGH 19 and 20.
0: MIKE Lehman OF JMP SECURITIES, IT'S ALWAYS GREAT TO CATCH UP WITH YOU, PARTICULARLY AHEAD OF A BIG EARNINGS WEEK IN THE TECH SECTOR. THANK YOU. Um, LUKE COWER, THINKING ABOUT WINDOWS BEING OPEN FOR CREDIT. Um, NETFLIX, IT CROSSES THE BLOOMBERG TERMINAL. Once again, turning to the junk bond market, $2 billion of junk bonds to fund new shows. It's a credit market that's still open for these tech firms seemingly as well.
8: Oh, very much so. I, I think you saw, we talked about Uber last week, being a great case in point. And the more and more the credit market lets these companies kind of term out debt as much as possible, that's also making the U.S. cycle a little a little stronger, a little less vulnerable to rising rates. On the other hand, leverage loans doing the exact opposite thing. So that's the kind
0: of tug of war. Yeah. I I continue to see playing out in credit fixed income and credit is just absolutely fascinating right now to stay on equity which is equally as fascinating julian you're neutral on tech But you're still bullish on the market. You think we can get to 3,000. How do we get to 3,000 if tech isn't taking us there? Well, tech doesn't have to be the leader, capital T,
7: as long as tech doesn't underperform by a dramatic margin. And frankly, if you look at the last six weeks, it has underperformed, but not by so much that it is an outright negative. Uh, The fact is, is that at this part of the cycle, and we think, By removing the word accommodative, as the Fed did uh, from the September uh, meeting, uh, essentially you're saying late cycle. Late cycle is good for value in general. More volatility works for
0: value in general. Every time this momentum trade looks like it's about to break down, Luke, we get the calls that value is going to take over from growth, and then it doesn't. Why are the conditions in place for this time to be different? I'm. I'm not sure they are. What is in place
8: is that the struggle and you. You see the trade-off between the two taking place on an inter-day basis in markets. It's. It's lasting for longer. Like this. This is one usually. The value rotations, they get snuffed out in their infancy after two or three days. This one, the market is really struggling with it for longer. And you can also see that in how implied correlations on NASDAQ, 100 companies, which are really just starting to report earnings, that correlation should be coming down. They should be moving for their own reason. Uh, it's near its highest level of the year, and that kind of yeah. th- shows they're going to trade as a group.
0: The week ahead there with Bloomberg's Luke Coward, Julian Emanuel of BTIG and Mark Lehman at the beginning there of JMP Securities as we count you down to a big week ahead for tech earnings. Also coming up tomorrow, look out for Saudi Arabia hosting the Future Investment Initiative dubbed Davos in the Desert. Um, Many people pulling out of that event after the incredibly atrocious killing of the uh, journalist Jamal Khashoggi uh, Eurozone Investor Confidence Consumer Confidence rather coming out tomorrow as well Big Bank Earnings done on Wednesday Barclays Deutsche Bank Q3 3Q Earnings coming out then Thursday UBS ECB Rate Decision Thursday too and a ton of tech earnings Twitter Alphabet Amazon and then on Friday it's US GDP what a week we've got coming up for you this is The Cable this is Bloomberg Radio